Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I'm joined by my Thunder Buddy on this freezing, frigid morning here in Oklahoma City, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you feeling? It is frigid and it is freezing. I'm freezing, but you know, we're all we're all hunkering down until uh, me and you head to the Thunder Pelicans game later today. But um, yeah, t- tis the season. That's what I'll say. I'm just hoping I don't freeze on my way over to the arena or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Gosh. Anyways, we had a fun game the other night as the Oklahoma City Thunder beat the Portland Trailblazers again for their third straight win, their second over the Blazers. What did you see in that one, Joe? Well, I mean, just my overall takeaways of that two-game set came away very impressed because it's very hard to beat a team that second time, especially when, you know, the Blazers are coming in here as, you know, the better team, um, pretty much fully healthy. They had Yusuf Nurkic in that second game. And in the first game on Monday, you had Shea Gilgis-Alexander with a game-winning shot. And then on Wednesday, you had Lou Dort with a game-winning stop. So um, I, I thought both were pretty dramatic and fun endings and just Lou Dort Man, I mean, he's he's we, we 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 quibble a lot with sometimes his offensive decision making, but you you cannot deny just how impactful he is for this team defensively. Yeah, when he does stuff like that, it is undeniable. He's just a monster out there, which is what Mark said after the game when asked about his impact. He said just defensively, he's just a monster. He holds uh, Dame only to sixteen points on six of nineteen shooting, including two of eleven from three. Player of the game from Lou, I guess I would say, between him and Shea. Shea has another 27, which is just becoming, you know, ho-hum at this point, as much as 27 can be on really good shooting. But the Thunder win 101-98. Overall, a good game. Uh, we get Josh's first game back. What did you see from him after being sick for a, uh, one game? Well, he was phenomenal, especially considering that he lost 10 pounds in just a few days, which is what he said after the game. And, like, Mark had indicated that it was a pretty serious illness. Sounds like a severe bug, I mean, to to lose that much weight in that short of time. But he didn't look weakened or slowed against the Trailblazers. I thought he had good command of the game. Um, I thought he made some really good decisions. And as we've seen before, he's he's making a knack for being a clutch rebounder, if that's such a thing. Like, he he's just... That's what's impressed me the most about Josh this season is it's it's not an easy year for him trying to fit next to Shea, trying to adapt to a new role, but he's doing those little things that he can control, um, like fighting harder defensively, like um, grabbing those rebounds and, and, and things like that. He's using his size, and he's been effective in doing it. And like very quietly, he's turning his – 
season around. Like it was a very short blip when everyone was, you know, clamoring about Josh Giddy and oh, I don't know about Josh Giddy. And now he's like pretty much silenced all of that. Yeah, he scores the first four points of the game for Oklahoma City. He finishes <clears throat> with looks like 13 points on six assists and six rebounds, six of eight from the field. And there's been a lot talked about his shot, but, you know, shooting is not just the three-point line. He's going up from the uh, free throw line. He's making some of these floaters. So improvement is improvement. It's going to stretch out to the three-point line at some point, but it's what you like to see from him just across the board on the floor is the shooting is getting better. Yeah, for sure. He's been he's been solid. And then just the last couple things on here. Um, Jada bounced back. He has 15 points, 5 of 8 shooting, 1 of 3 from 3, and 4 for 4 from the line. It was nice to see him after he had a couple games where he was not as his, not his efficient self, I guess I would say. Yeah, and that's just the ebbs and flows of a rookie season. Um, but overall, he, he has been remarkably efficient for a rookie. He was good again the other night. And it's a constant like push and pull with him this season because he his like natural inclination as a basketball player is to not do too much and play within the game and like mark has talked about how they're trying to um loosen him up a little bit and not be afraid to be more aggressive even if it comes at the cost of efficiency so i'm i'm really interested to see what the rest of jalen williams season looks like um, now, as we kind of near the, the halfway point in his rookie season, um, I, I still don't know what kind of three-point shooter he is. Um, I've said this before. We won't know what kind of three-point shooter he is even at the end of the year. It's going to take some time uh, to build that up. Um, but it's just like he's he's kind of like Shea in the sense that, you know, we expect these, like, huge games from Shea. And we've come to expect, like, you know, not on big volume, but pretty efficient nights from, from J-Dub. Yeah, 12, 2, and 2 or something around there. I think he's one of the, like, five or so rookies who's averaging double-digit points right now, which is pretty remarkable still this late in the season that he's one of those guys. But, yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's sacrifice some efficiency and just try some things. I mean, these games are obviously the Thunder want to win, but they're not huge consequential games like the ones in the future when they're pushing for the playoffs or the play-in. So if you're going to try things out, now is the time. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, you know, I think they're going to, you know, continue to experiment with that. You've seen him fit in different lineups. You've seen him pretty much be a full-time starter here recently. And and I think that's the way it's going to end up going. But, yeah, I mean, this this is a strong rookie class. I was just kind of playing it out in my head the other day as far as, like, where J-Dub would stack up. I think right now he would probably be on the outside looking in for first-team all-rookie. He's definitely would be on that second-team list right now, though. Um, but you could make the case for him to be to be first-team. He just doesn't quite have the volume some of those other guys have, like, you know, Bancaro and Matherin and Jaden Ivey and, and Keegan Murray, some of those guys. Yeah, rookie of the year and first-team all-rookie, a lot of it is just based on opportunity. And certain guys might be playing better in like a nutshell, but are not, you know, like their per 36 might look better, but overall they're not getting the same amount of minutes or touches. And the last thing on this game, I was uh, pretty surprised that Nurkic didn't have a big impact on this one. Um, I thought Mascala defended him well, but 
is the Thunder with their lack of size, you'd think that a guy like Nurkic, even coming off an injury and missing some time, would give them a lot of problems. Nurkic has a knack for sort of underperforming against the Thunder in, in the last couple of years. Like, you just don't feel him all that much. And, you know, especially against, like, Poku, he should just be able to use his weight. I mean, he outweighs him by about 80 pounds. But Mescala, you know, Mark Daniels has been banging this drum for a couple of years now. Mescala is an underrated defensive player. We always saw him as a defensive liability. That's not really the case. Like, he's not an elite defender by any means. He's not really a shot blocker, but he's pretty fundamental. He uses his length, gets his hands up, um, doesn't make mistakes down there, and and hangs pretty tough. I mean, we saw last year he's getting, like, hit in the nose and elbowed in the eye and all of this stuff. Like, he hangs in there pretty tough, and I, I think they like what he gives them defensively. Yeah, he's just solid. He does what they need him to do. It's not like he's going down there and they're asking him to beat Joel and beat a Rudy Gobert and shut down the paint. But what's being asked of him and playing within his skill set, he's definitely doing that. Uh, but we're at around the halfway point of the season, Joe, as we get into Christmas. And I thought it would be fun to give our 12 takes through Christmas. We'll go back and forth, six each. Of course, I will let you start. What is your first take through Christmas? My first take through Christmas is that Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been the most improved player in the NBA, and all of the odds from various betting sites would back me up, and that he's the overwhelming favorite to, to win uh, most improved player of the year. This this is sometimes a tricky r- award because are you looking at a mid-tier player who made a leap to become really good a la Lori Markin in this year with the Jazz? Or are you looking to last year for inspiration when John Morant went from really good to great? And that really good to great is what Shea has done this year. I uh, This is kind of a, a, a two-part two part take, Michael. I, I think, you know, we've got this new award this year, and it's the Jerry West Clutch Player of the Year. And if Shea wins most improved, I find it very hard just to full disclosure. I, I, I'm a voter for, for NBA awards. And I'm just thinking like, it's kind of hard to vote for one guy for two different awards. It, it could happen for sure. Shea right now has made a couple of very uh, notable buzzer beaters. He leads the NBA in clutch points by a pretty good margin. So I'm just kind of like interested in giving this new award, like, okay, if he wins most improved player of the year, he's probably not going to win clutch player of the year. It's probably going to go to someone on a contending team, I would guess. Um, But uh, I I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun with the first ever clutch award that you guys get to set the precedent on. Here's sort of the criteria since there's no criteria before other than clutch, whatever you interpret that is. But uh, the most improved thing, I'm right with you. There's the two um, different camps of thoughts. I know Zach Lowe talked about it last year why he voted for Ja, is that it is the hardest leap in the NBA to take from star to superstar, and that's what Shea's doing. So I can't really argue mm-hmm. with that, but at the same time, you know, you can see it for the guys like Larry Markinen, who it's like are on the maybe looking like they're on the outside of the league and now are a solid player and really, really improved. So it's kind of just in the eye of the beholder type of thing of, what you prefer, but there's no wrong answers. Um, yeah, no, that that that's totally right. I was I was trying to pull up odds here 
real quick. This is as of December 14th. So Shea is number one uh, overwhelming favorite. Next on the list, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, then Laurie Markin and Anthony Simons. Bull, bull. How about that, bull, bull? Um, and, you know, Markinen, he he's been a great story. Simons has taken a step. Everyone loves Bull Bull. He's Bull Bull's not going to win Most Improved Player of the Year. I can I can uh, I feel confident in saying that. Like it's 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 Shea by quite a quite a comfortable distance right now. That'd be a fun five though: Shea, Halliburton, Simons, Markinen, and Bull Bull. Yeah, sign sign me up. Sign me up. I don't I don't know that Bull Bull is going to win Most Improved. Like you said, he'll probably be more in the category of like a Nickelodeon Teen Choice Awards type of sports <laughs> award. But I'm I'm here for all the Bull Bull talk. But I'll get into my first take through Christmas. This is one that people have been worried about around uh, the Thunder fan base for a while, but I believe it now. Shea and Giddy can work and play together and have success long term. I think that like we were talking about with Giddy earlier. He's really finding his like niche around the floor of just doing all the small things and impacting the game. And what's most exciting about that is he's doing it all without the ball. And that's, you know, usually a given with, you know, off ball skills, but just even on the defensive side, like you mentioned with rebounding, um, he gets those offensive rebounds. He's pushing the pace. He's just impacting the game in so many different ways. And then Shea is just the obvious as he's taken another leap into superstardom this year. He continues to level up and progress, but. More importantly, Giddy has found ways to compliment him as a second-year guy, which is not easy at all. Yeah, I. You bring up really good points. I I'm a little slower to come around on on things. Just uh, well, I, I guess you know, in in my job and in life, but here I am. But I I I want to go that far just yet. I, I think. Just because, you, you know, at the beginning of the season, last season, people were saying, uh, I don't know, this this can't work. I don't see it. It's like, that's ludicrous. Um, it's not ludicrous right now to say that it is going to work. I think it is more believable now to say it is going to work than saying last year that it wasn't going to work. I'm more in the wait and see camp. I, I mean, I think because Chet Holmgren is, is still a – lingering over there on the sideline and not suited up I think like he's I think he's only going to help that partnership um but before I would say that it is going to work I would want to see Chet in the mix to see the more actualized version of the Thunder but um yeah I'm not going to push back too much Michael yeah I mean some of it is projecting like you said with the Chet stuff and just to um I don't know reinforce I'll say that it can work. I'm not saying for sure, but I think there's a higher likelihood that it does and it doesn't just when you have two guys this skilled who want it to work, which is the most important thing, and who are going to work towards doing it. But it's still easy. But like I said, I mean, Shea's still not even 25 yet. Josh just turned 20. So a lot of leeway and a lot of, uh, I don't know, um, road ahead for these guys to keep improving, keep building on this, and they get the addition of Chet next year. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, and, and a big difference between can and, and will. You you chose your words wisely there. Um, also, can I just uh, clarify for the listeners that these aren't like when we say takes, we're not we're not talking about necessarily hot takes. We're not talking about like you know spiked eggnog necessarily. It's more of like a a warm cup of hot cocoa, right? 
yeah, I mean, these are just the observations that we came away with. They could be hot, a little bit cold. I mean, one of them could just be Shay's really good, which I don't want to spoil your list if that's just one of yours. Shay is good at basketball. Not a very creative one, but I have something very similar to that, and I will say it now. Um, Mark Degnault is a very good basketball coach. Yes, that is actually on my list. And I was trying to come up with one about Mark and didn't know exactly how to phrase it. Um, so I thought I would just keep things simple. I, I think we're seeing Mark progress like we're seeing some of these young players progress. I mean, just as a young coach in this league, now in his, let's see, 2021, third season, he's he just has such a good feel for the game, I think. I think he's got a very good feel for the locker room. I think he's an extremely creative coach. Um, you see a lot of teams that, you know, it, it's usually more veteran teams, but it's, it's more improvisational at, at times. Whereas like the thunder, and I don't know if it'll always stay this way, but Mark is pretty much yelling out a set every trip down the court and like just, just has a really good control over the game. I, I think, and his players respond to him. Number one, Shea responds to him and, that's really all that matters at this point is to make sure you have the air of your superstar. Now, this could flip in an instant. Like, Shea now at 24 is a lot different than, you know, Shea when he's 30 or when if they trade for another superstar or whatever. Like, the locker room dynamics change. But right now, um, as the Thunder kind of maybe is in the last year of what we're going to call the rebuild. Um, Mark's just done an outstanding job. Yeah, and things will change as these guys get older, but what's important is they're building a foundation right now that hopefully you know will last long-term and they can keep building on. What's hilarious is for second on my list, I had Mark Dagnall in all caps, can coach was the, <laughs> was the thing that I had. Uh, and I said, he's not a lame duck coach holding the spot for the next guy. You know, like the Brett Brown situation in Philadelphia. I think that he's going to get a real shot with this team. That does not mean he's going to be the coach for this entire next era of Thunder basketball, but he's a legit coach who makes every player on this roster better and puts them in positions to succeed. You know, only time will tell if, you know, the playoff success comes and what type of coach he'll be in that sort of environment. But given the circumstances, he's really knocked out of the park for me in his three years as head coach. Just putting guys, I mean, like I said, putting guys in positions to succeed and really developing the talent on the roster. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, is I travel around, ask me this question, like, hey, do you think Mark is just the rebuilding coach or do you think he's going to be here long term? And I, I think it's much, much more likely that he is the coach for the next era of Thunder basketball than him not being the coach. And I think that's because the the Thunder is a very insulated organization. They love <laughs> their own people promoting from within. Mark was with the G League a long time. He was on Billy's staff for a year. Now he's the head coach. His assistants have been around the organization for a long time. And the Thunder just isn't one of those teams that is going to like, you know, go out and make a splashy hire if like a, you know, big name coach is available. I think they're more than happy with having Mark Dagnalt as their coach, as, as their own guy. Obviously, this could change, but um, I I just don't see 
um, that this is going to go in that direction. So, um, good, good take there, Michael. We're, we're, we're all aboard the Mark Degnall train, I guess. Too much time together. That's for sure. <laughs> Talking about Mark all the time, but I, I still remember back to the time where they were doing the coaching search before they hired him and they were giving all these names out. And then they finally announced Mark Degnall, a name no one could really pronounce at the time. And we're trying to figure it out. And they're like, well, are they going to get Will Hardy? Are they going to do this and that? And then they promote a head coach from the G League. And I remember some people saying, well, it's because this and that and salary and things. But it's proven more and more that Mark was just the right guy for the job and has vindicated Sam in a lot of ways because he's done a great job in his three years as uh, the head coach, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and let's be honest. like They were never going to bring in like a big-name coach at that time because – Billy Donovan, fairly established coach by this point, didn't want any part of the of the rebuild, and I don't blame him. Now, in hindsight, you look back, and it's like Billy Donovan would might have made a different decision. Um, but like they were always going to have always going to have to hire a Dagnalt type, a Will Hardy type. Um, you, uh, I mean, there was other names that, you know, younger coaches around the league, younger assistants who uh, I think maybe were, I don't even want to say considered because I think they were pretty locked in for the most part, given that he was their own guy. So, yeah. Um, are we ready? A am I up for my third take? Okay. After all the warm and fuzzy talk, I am uh, – I'm 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 just gonna I'm I'm just gonna have a word of advice. Proceed with caution when talking about Poku. And before everyone jumps on me and declares me anti-Poku, that's not what I'm saying. Um, it's just like I, I I just think the the narratives around Poku are just like so strong one way or the other. And I've been on the wrong side of this. I'll, I'll fully admit it. Like didn't think he was going to be an NBA player, but when he got off to a good start this year, it's like everyone thinks, oh my gosh, this is like the Poku we all imagined. And it's just like these highs and lows of the Poku roller coaster. Um, he he did have a really good start and he, there's no doubt he looks like a more, he, he looks like an NBA player this year in ways he didn't look like in his first two years, but he's had a really rough shooting month. Um, you can see his lack of confidence when he isn't confident, I think is more apparent and obvious than pretty much any player on the team. Like his misses aren't even close. Like they're air balls, they're off the backboard. And that's not to say he can't get right back in a groove, but he's just still a really, really, really young player. And that's that's why I'm saying proceed with caution. And I have to remind myself of this too. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. I just uh, I I just want to I just want to wait and see on Poku. And again, w plus minus isn't everything. I know that. But when he's on the floor, the Thunder is getting outscored by 13 and a half points per 100 possessions. That is worst on the team, and it's not even close. Um, so second worst is J-Dub, which I'm not putting much stock into that. He's a, he's a rookie, and again, some of those numbers get a little wonky. Um, but J-Dub is around minus 8.5 per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So Poku is five points worse than that. 
And if I'm going to say, okay, I'm not going to put too much stock into it with J-Dub, I can't be like, oh, this declares Poku not good. Uh, I'm not going there. I'm just floating it as a as a number to keep an eye on. Not anti-Poku. That's the most important thing that I heard there. But I don't disagree. I mean, he's just not very confident with his shot. You can tell he's just not as decisive as what he was earlier in the season, which we talked about during the game. But you can tell on some of these possessions where they're swinging around the perimeter and it gets to him. And he's like thinking about it and he shoots it. And it's just almost like, well, I know I'm supposed to shoot it. I don't really want to, but I know I'm in the position on the floor where they want me to shoot it. So I'll go ahead and shoot it. But there's not a lot of confidence from Poku. Um, hopefully things can get turned around. I mean, he's still one of the younger players on this team and in the NBA. And I was thinking about it while you were talking because you said he's such a young basketball player. He realistically might be on this team of guys, the guy who has the least amount of basketball like time played in his life compared to the rest of these guys with like Josh, who's, you know, grew up in that system in Australia where his dad was a professional. Chet's been a prodigy basically his whole life. Even even Jang has been playing for a very long time. Maybe I'm way off on that and just like guesstimating, but you know, Poku seems pretty early on in a lot of his basketball uh, lifespan and development. Well, in low level basketball, now he he did move to uh, Greece from Serbia at a pretty young age um, to kind of get in a in a youth system. But like before he was drafted, he was playing in a second division in Greece. Like the first division in Greece isn't elite. By any stretch, uh, the second division in Greece is somewhere south of elite. I am not an international basketball expert, but I feel pretty comfortable in saying that. Um, And it just confirms your point. Like, he doesn't have a ton of experience still. Um, Pull up his basketball reference page, and and you will see that he turns 21 years old the day after Christmas. So he's still three days away from 21 um, and grabbing a glass of that spiked eggnog. So he's... You know, it's still a long-term thing with him. I I guess why I bring up Poku is early in the rebuild, two years ago, it's like it felt like a life-or-death thing of like the Thunder's rebuild, whether or not Poku worked out. That's no longer the case. They have Chet Holmgren. They have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who has emerged as a star. They have Josh Giddy. They have Jalen Williams. Like, you, you don't have to – I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I push back too hard on this discourse, but he's the he's the seventeenth overall pick. A lot of seventeenth picks don't work out. So if he doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. If he does work out, if he becomes a top eight rotation player, it's a huge win for where he was drafted. Absolutely. I mean, Poku to me, like you said, it doesn't he the rebuild doesn't hinge on him. He's just one of those extra guys, and this is what you have to do if you have this many picks in a rebuild, is you have to take a few swings. And maybe it works out. I think Jang is sort of in the same category. But last thing on uh, this take from you that I'll uh, talk about is the Poku dynamics and discourse. And it is pretty like polarizing, like you're talking about, where you have the people who it's like, no matter what he does, they're going to put a positive spin on it. They're going to be like, I don't know, the little kid, whatever he gets up and just like throws a toy and they're really excited just because he's doing something. And then you have the other side who is just like their expectations are so high the other way that even if he goes three of five from three, they're mad about the two plays where he messed up. So overall, I I agree with you. Be cautious about Poku, but there's still a lot of time left. All right. What do you got? Um, I have one. You mentioned J-Dub. J-Dub is a player. I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's going to be somebody in the NBA long term. 
And the most important thing, we're not going to use the T word, but I'll use a B word, which is like when you're in that category of part of the draft, you just want to make sure the guy's not a bust. And J-Dub is not a bust. He can actually play. And you can see just, you know, where we've had the questions about his shooting, but he has an NBA skill set. He has um, reasons to keep that Mark has to keep him on the floor. And I think the Thunder fans would be pretty excited about him. And then the second part to that, Usman Jang hasn't proven his uh, hasn't proven that much yet, but he still has potential. It's still too early, especially with him with all the injuries. But I'd be pretty optimistic if I was a Thunder fan based off these uh, two rookies so far this season. Yeah, I mean, none of us have any idea what Usman Jang is yet, but it, it looks promising. Um, JW, bring up a great point. You can't always tell when a guy is a player but you can tell pretty soon, pretty early, and we saw this with Josh Giddy last year, that this guy can play. He's not a bust. Like the uh, close your ears, Wizards fans, but be a little worried about your guy Johnny Davis because pretty early on, not looking great. But um, J-Dub does not look like a bust. That's a that's a pretty good one. I mean, he's he's – He's been awesome. I mean, he he fits exactly what this team wants to do. He's already got an NBA body. He's got crazy length. Um, he's really mature, just a composed guy, and fits in well around here. So, um, yeah, that's that that that's a good one. Early returns of the of the drafts. I mean, JW have to feel the best about right now. I think Chet, barring some unforeseen setback in his injury, still feeling great about that. And then Usman Jang, like you said about Poku, is just one of those swings. So, um, yeah, good. You can see the outline, like we talked about, where you can tell if a guy's a bust pretty quick. You can see the reasons why they drafted him as the nicest thing you can say about Jang. You can see, you know, the flashes of different things, which we've seen in some games, like when he played against Atlanta. But very excited to see. And most importantly, you've got an NBA player in J-Dub. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about Jang before moving on, the wrist injuries are unrelated um according to the thunder i think it's i don't even want to place like a scale on it but a little worrisome that he's already had two wrist injuries um that have cost him to to miss some time early could be a fluke thing that no one cares about even um a year from now but uh i will move on to my fourth take and i'm gonna say don't give up on trey Mann. um you know what, folks? It's a it's a two-game sample, but I'm going to read you some numbers. In the G League Winter Showcase, which everyone um, was glued to their TVs watching, Trey Mann averaged 37.5 points on 54% three-point shooting, 13 of 24 from three. In two games at the G League Winter Showcase, Trey Mann gets assigned to the G League, and the G League announced today that he is on the 2022 AT&T Winter Showcase All-Showcase team, along with Brandon Boston, Isaiah Mobley, brother of Evan, Terry Taylor, and Kenneth Lofton Jr., um, who Thunder fans remember from um, Summer League. Anyway, I say that because this is a really good sign. You don't want your guys going down to the G League and continue struggling. You want them to be like so above and beyond the competition that it's like, why is he in the G League? And it's only two games, but that's what Trey Mann did. Um, 
I think most of his assignment was all mental, just getting comfortable, getting back in rhythm, seeing some shots go in. Um, will that translate to the Thunder when he gets called back up? I have no idea. Um, but a good sign that Trey Mann performed well in the G League. Yeah, hopefully that same level of aggressiveness will come out once he gets called back up, which he got called back up this morning, I'm pretty sure. He and Jay will even pass the uh, concussion protocols. But one of my favorite things I saw from Trey was um, Shay retweeted um, all his highlights and said that Trey showed up the G League showcase like it was just an open gym and just decided to score on everybody. I thought that was pretty funny. But mm-hmm. yeah, Trey, mm-hmm. too early to give up on him as well. Still a young player in development, but you mentioned it with Poku earlier. I think these are the two guys who deal with the most confidence issues and seeing Trey go out there and capitalize on it whenever, you know, this is something that could have gone really wrong. Maybe he doesn't play that well. Maybe he continues to struggle, but he instantly um, proved why he should remain on the Thunder roster in just a two-game sample size, even if that's a small uh, two-game sample size. But he played really well, and hopefully that carries on to the main roster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For my fourth take... Shea can be on the uh, be the guy on this team and the franchise going forward that you can build around and just the overall cornerstone. There have been a lot of questions in the past. It's like, well, is he a three? Is he the third guy on the team? Is he a second guy? More and more by the day. Obviously, this is not a for sure thing. Like I said earlier, it, he can be, but I'm getting more and more optimistic that he could be the number one on the Thunder going forward and they win a lot of games and hopefully um, compete deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think you could have a take of anything but that. And this is always, like, a hard conversation for me because, like, when – I'm not saying you're saying this because, like, you're talking playoff team, but when people say the best player on a championship team, is that, like, five guys, four guys? Like, what's the list here? But as far as, like, being the best player on a a playoff team that could – you know, eventually win a win a series or two. I think Shea has reached that level. Like this is it is a growing sample that he is just an elite scorer. Um, he's taken a step up on the defensive end. Um, he's he's proven to be a good leader, and he's just he's checking all the boxes right now. And it like no matter all these other takes we've talked about, throw them out the window. They don't matter. Trey man, nah, doesn't matter long term. I mean, it does, but kind of Poku, J Dub, yeah, he matters. But Shay, you have to have a superstar, and Shay is has been that guy. And you know, if he falls off a cliff in the second half of the season, then um, maybe we all look stupid. But I see nothing. Nothing he's doing right now seems like it's going to regress um, at like extreme levels like this this just feels pretty sustainable the player has become yeah i won't get into the thing like you said if you're talking about guys who um can be the best player on the championship team it's like five guys but shay is a guy who i think can be the best player on a playoff team and win two rounds just kind of on his back but you know the hardest part is over like you mentioned nothing else matters shay is the biggest piece of the puzzle that you need for a rebuild and the Thunder already have him. So now it's just on Sam to find the right piece to fit around him and for the guys on the roster to find a way to fit around him. But Shave's the guy. He's the man. He's been awesome this year. And um hopefully you know not even hopefully, I would almost you know, I'm pretty um optimistic about it would almost assure you, but he's gonna keep getting better because he's gotten better every single year that he's played basketball basically his entire life. 
every year I think that it's like, oh, well, here's probably the ceiling, and he just takes it up another level, so no ceiling for Shea. Um, I'm going to be pretty short on my next one just because I don't think it's going to surprise a lot of people. I I just don't think Darius Baisley is long for the Thunder. I, I think there's a growing sample of us being able to see that. I think he can help a team with his defense. I just think offensively there's not a fit. And, you know, it's fairly easy. Just like, just look at his minutes. I, I mean, two seasons ago, this guy's a full-time starter. He plays, starts every game he plays in, 55 starts, 31 minutes per game. Go back to last season. He starts 53 of his 69 games. He averages 27.9 minutes. This year he's made one start. Um, he's played 16.9 minutes per game. So his minutes are down 11 per game over last year, and they're down 14 per game o- over two seasons ago. He was not given an extension. He's going to enter restricted free agency. Um, I think this is a thing where, you know, the Thunder tries to get a second-round pick around the deadline for Darius Baisley, and, and he moves on. Um, I see very little chances that he's back on the team next year. Yeah, he's just not, I mean, he's just not a Thunder guy for this type of team. And I think the greatest example we can give is that he was drafted, when he was drafted, Paul George and Russell Westbrook were still on the team, Joe. So I think mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. kind of project what they were expecting out of him, which is still the role that we can see now is he'd be great in a Dallas sort of environment where it's like just defend, shoot, catch and shoot threes, catch lobs. And the Thunder right now, they want more guys who can make decisions and handle the ball and do different things. And that's just not really in Darius Baisley's wheelhouse right now. So it's not to say he's not an NBA player, but I just don't think. I, I do think you, you bring up a good point there with like the, the team that he was originally drafted on. But I, I do think the Thunder projected more than this offensively. I think they thought he was a guy who was one of those long skilled wings who could put the ball on the floor make decisions and he can put the ball on the floor, but there's really one decision to make and that's, you know, driving to the rim and not finishing very well. Um, So he's like shown flashes of it at times, but just like, just, just as a very, I I don't know. It's not a, it's not a very sharp skill set, and that's kind of what's required of the thunder offensively now. And, you know, We've seen, like, Lou Dort doesn't always have the right decision-making on offense, but he continues to play just because, not continues to play, continues to be a full-time starter with his impact on defense. And, you know, cl- clearly, like, Darius Baisley is is not as impactful defensively or they're not willing to put up with some of the stuff offensively. There, there could also just be some personal dynamics at play. But, um, yeah, I... Uh, you know, I, I I didn't want that to be my last one because I, I don't want to end uh, this this Christmas themed podcast with with a with a lump of coal. Yeah, and we're not killing Bays. I mean, the truth is, it's a good problem to have. Is that in this part of the rebuild, you're gonna have to start cutting corners on some of these guys and start making hard decisions. And you know, Bays, like you said, started a lot of games the last two years, but as the roster gets better and better, it's gonna become time for more and more of those decisions. But yeah, his decision-making is just not great. I mean, just imagine if you just put Kenrick Williams, 
skill set and brain in Darius Baisley's body, just how good of a player that would be with the athleticism. But it's just some of it just happens. You just have it or you don't. But I'll move on to my fifth take here. I know this will bring a smile to your face. Isaiah Joe is for real and is the shooter OKC has needed since the dawn of time, is what I put down. Darn, darn right he is. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Joe just continues to come in just with a flamethrower. He's just like the hitman like I've talked about before. Everybody knows what he's coming in for. He has one job, and he just keeps on doing it even when the other teams try to stop him. He's just by himself almost just put this team in a position where they're higher up in the three-point percentage standings in the NBA where they were like 27th, and then now they're up to 22nd to 20th just on his back alone on some of the efficiency he's had. But his spacing and the way he plays with Shea and some of the other guys is just like fits like a glove and is definitely what the Thunder team has needed for a very long time, not only in this iteration, but long term. Here here are the NBA leaders in three-point percentage. Um, the, the qualified leaders. Number one, Luke Kennard of the Los Angeles Clippers. He's shooting 48.9% from three. That'll play. Number two is Damian Lee of the Phoenix Suns. He's shooting 47.6% uh, from three. Number three on the NBA's list for leading three-point shooters is Isaiah Joe of the Oklahoma City Thunder, shooting 46.2% from three. He's third in the NBA right now in three-point shooting. Um, next on the list, KCP, Malcolm Brogdon, Desmond Bain, um, Andrew Wiggins, which is um, impressive. Al Horford, J- Jeremy Grant, also impressive. Laurie Markinen. But um, I, I don't need to go further. Isaiah Joe was third on the list, and that is – that's pretty incredible for the, for, for the Thunder. I'm going to do a quick command F, OKC. Yes, he's the only guy in the top 50 in three-point shooting um, from the Thunder. So that, that tells you all you need to know. Well, the thing is with him, it's not just that he can shoot it, but just the threat of him shooting is so much that it's great for guys like Shea because traditionally guys could leave Shea to go help on those drives and just leave a Lou Dort out there from three. You can't do that with Isaiah Joe. He'll knock down seven threes in a game. So just the threat and the way where guys can't leave to continue to build that wall against Shea is just awesome and helps out tremendously. But what is your sixth and final take uh, through Christmas here of your of our 12 takes? Um, so we, we've kind of discussed this when we were talking about the, the, the Trailblazers series. Um my last take was the the Josh Giddy discourse was a little ridiculous, and I I I know that like Twitter or whatever we're paying attention to on social media is a very small fraction of the fan base, but it is the it is the vocal minority. It is like the the only takes I I, I can really hear other than talking to friends, family, or listening to other podcasts or the radio, um, but. It was just—it's just kind of silly how how quick some were to like declare as if they knew that Josh Giddy wasn't going to work out or you know whatever. I I mean yeah, like he's he's not a good three point shooter, but he's turned it around recently. He's making improvements. He's become more efficient. He's doing the doing the other stuff on the periphery. Um, like the rebounding, just making the simple plays. Chauncey Billups praised him for like a minute straight the other night when Portland was in town. Um, and I, I'm not saying like, you know, expectations are sky high, but it's uh, they're they're also not down in the dungeon anymore. Like it, it, J- Josh Giddy's a really good basketball player. 
Um, and I think he's going to be, you know, I, I think there are four key core pieces of this team right now. Some, some might have a longer list, but I think you're looking at Shea, Chet, Josh Giddy, and Jalen Williams, J-Dub right now. Like those four guys I would feel pretty good about. Um, so the fact that, you know, we were even having discussions about, you know, Josh Giddy liking a tweet about, you know, someone saying it's ridiculous what fans are saying about Josh Giddy. Um, hopefully we're past that. hope so too. I mean, a lot of Twitter discourse is just um, escalating and figuring out who can be the most upset over something that's really not that upsetting and who can, re- or who can be the smartest. Yeah. It can, it can go both ways. I could, I could tweet that. I think that, um, I don't know. Isaiah Joe is the going to be the best three point shooter ever. Like, it's just it, everyone wants to be the first about making a take or, you know, figuring things out. And the Thunder will tell you this. They have no idea what Josh Giddy is eventually going to become. So if uh, if if me on Twitter is, is saying something or a fan or whatever, it's like we really have no idea. So let's let's just sit back and wait and uh, let let uh, let Josh tell us himself by his play on the floor. I unironically was going to bring this up right before you said the smart guy thing and not to sound like NBA smart guy snob, but I think a lot of guy, a lot of people look at the box score and they don't see the effectiveness with Giddy. He's one of those guys where you absolutely have to watch him in the context of the game and the full game a lot of times to figure out just how important and how smart he is and how talented he is. He's not going to be a guy like Shea, and I mentioned this to Shea, like who gets the scoring mixtape and is dropping guys and getting done and dunking on guys and whatever, but Josh is just the flow of the game and like that, you know, it's not going to be a highlight, but he got that late uh, game offensive rebound. That's a huge play. That's just as important as a lot of those late game shots, but it's just not as flashy and he's not getting as many of those flashy passes like he was last year. So I think a lot of people are overreacting in that category. I also wanted to be optimistic uh, getting out of this. The light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter, Joe. That's what I had. The rebuild is not over, but you can see every game more and more of the team is um, presenting itself and reasons to be optimistic. Like I said, it's not the rebuild's not over, but you can see the vision that they have for this team going forward. You mentioned the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting closer. Here, here's the best way to, if you want some numbers behind that, here they are. The Thunder leads the NBA in games decided in clutch time. This is when the score is within five points with five or fewer minutes left on the clock. They've played 22 games decided in clutch. Second is uh, tied for second, the Mavericks and Heat, um, then the Cavaliers, and then the Magic, which is a good sign for the Magic, honestly. Um, but the Thunder is 10 and 12 in those clutch time games. Last season, I, I think the Thunder was 20th in clutch time games. Going back to the 2020-2021 season, let me pull it up. The Thunder was 25th in clutch games, and now they're first. So that just speaks to the level of competitiveness of this group. You can also see it in, in just the point differential. Um, but but you're right. The uh, the light is, is getting closer. And not to say that wins and losses don't matter, but that stat is really, really important. Like you mentioned, they're first in clutch time games right now. They're 10 and 12, so they're basically a 500 team whenever it comes down to the wire like that. And there's been a lot of talk of like you know learning how to win. And we talked about it a lot earlier in the season about them not being able to close out games. 
but they're slowly but surely, especially on the off the back of Shea, who's one of the best closers in the league, figuring out how to win these close games. And I asked Shea about it the other day because he's one of the few guys with playoff experience about just how the guys are figuring it out to win in uh, big time games like this. And he said, you know, they're really progressing well. We're learning more and more and we're getting better. And Josh talked about that too. He goes, I don't know if everybody in the outside can see it, but we can tell we're getting a lot better with this. So, I mean, health is on the way with Chet and then whatever pick you get, but I wouldn't get too caught up in wins and losses. What's more important is that they're playing in these close games and it's not blowouts either way, because in these close games where it's actually consequential and the games mean something, that's where you can tell what you have in these guys. Yeah, for for sure. For sure. Our 12 takes of Christmas. Did we get them all? We did. Oh, nice. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. You're good. Are you aware with the the 12 days of Christmas are actually after Christmas? I learned that online the other day. Yeah, I, I heard something about this. I think I'm I think if someone said are the 12 days of Christmas leading up to or after, I think I would have guessed after, but I would not have done it with confidence. Are you also aware that like the 12 days of Christmas the gifts that like 90% of them are just various birds? <laughs> um there, 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 there do seem to be a lot of birds. I, I know that there's a couple of turtle doves mixed in there, um, but there are there are also leaping lords, right? And uh, um, uh, golden rings, yeah, the golden rings. So, um, what, what are the other birds? Um, I don't know, but it, you get close to about sixty birds. I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere on Twitter. Oh, but... French hens. We also have some hens from France got to go through a lot of birds to get to those five uh, golden rings <laughs> yeah that's uh that's the one <laughs> uh from joe myself barry and everybody um thank you so much for listening during this holiday season hope everybody has a happy holidays merry christmas happy hanukkah and all that make sure to follow us on twitter at thunder buddy pod and we will be back on tuesday after christmas Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.